Welcome to the Demisery Podcast, where I, Liz Hansen, read essays I've written about confronting and moving on from loss, grief, and shame. My hope is to normalize conversations around miscarriage, mental health, and all kinds of losses and traumas that compound the older we get. After my own miscarriages, I wanted nothing more than to hear stories from women about how they made it through. So here's mine. Know that you're not alone and that there are many healing paths to pursue. Thanks for listening. Content warning. Topics include miscarriage, infant mortality, grief, and raw freaking emotion. Today's episode is called The Next Miscarriage, and it is a recorded conversation that I had with friend, teacher, and theater goddess Robin. Since the demisery is all about trying to normalize conversations about the pitfalls and bumps in the road on the way to possible parenthood, I decided I should start recording actual conversations with friends about our shared experiences. So this is the first one of hopefully many. Robin is not only lovely, but she's really self-aware and articulate in this conversation, very, very generously shares her story that as of October 2022 involves three miscarriages. Robin describes a mindset that I think is really relatable to anyone who has multiple disappointments in a row. What happens to hope when you experience back-to-back losses? I find myself reflecting on that a lot after talking to her. More often than not, humans find themselves in some kind of limbo between hardship, loss, rejection, or disappointment, and that reaching, striving, working for a better outcome. But after continual hardship, it's harder to find hope, and it's easier to channel your inner Eeyore. So where can we find hope And how? That's kind of the big question. This conversation also touches on what it's like to be a 40-year-old woman with a uterus in Texas after the overturn of Roe v. Wade. Spoiler alert, it's not great. Um, I learned a lot from Robin listening to her describe her flavors of grief, and I'm so impressed with her clarity and her hope and fear, and most of all, her ability to move through this experience with courage heart, cœur, courage. Robin, thank you so much for sharing your story. And Adam, Robin's partner, husband, thank you also for letting us share the story and talk about you. (laughs) Um, Okay, and a few notes of things in the episode. First, Robin mentions a dye procedure that she couldn't remember the name of. She was talking about the HSG procedure, which is an x-ray That checks for irregularities in women's reproductive anatomy. Um, Second, the name of the Buddhist ceremony I mentioned is called the Jizo ceremony. And there's an in-person one coming up soon in the Bay Area this weekend on October 9th, 2022 at Green Gulch in Marin County. And this ceremony appears to be for anyone who has died. It's not just for children and babies like the one that I went to. 
But if you're looking for a ritual and the support of others wishing to mourn and grieve with intentionality, I really recommend uh, looking into it and learning more about it. And lastly, Robin shared her beautiful uh, journal cover of her pregnancy journal. Um, And uh, after our conversation, she said she's returned to the journal after a break and that it's been really nice to be able to go back and reflect on what she has written along the way that she forgot. So encouragement to any of you who are not journaling through the process of um, just life, I would say, it's really can be really nice to go back and reflect and and that can be like a really good reminder of hope and where you found hope and how you found hope um, and, and act as kind of a barometer of where you've been and where you are and know that those things are always in conversation. You're never stuck in one place. So anyway, I hope you find this conversation helpful and remember that you are not alone. Thank you for listening. Okay, good. Hi, Robin. Hi, Liz. (laughs) Okay, I don't know what I'm doing. Thanks for flying me out to location for our our interview. (laughs) I feel real primed for this convo. I I got your writer of an IPA. (laughs) Okay, so... Today, we're going to just kick off a conversation about your um, journey toward parenting. Mm -hmm. So why don't you tell me a little bit about um, who you are, where you are, Mm -hmm. and um, yeah, anything that just comes top of mind as you start to talk about your your journey, yeah, journey. your path thus far. Okay. Well, the first thing I'll say is, I don't know if I can do that in a little bit, but it'll be a ambling kind of conversation, which honestly is my journey towards parenting has been, I mean, it hasn't been a straight line. Um, but I am 40 years old and I married my husband at the age of 35. And I've always, you know, I've worked with children most of my life and I, um, really enjoy, um, the experience of, you know, being around children and facilitating learning and curiosity. Um, I have two amazing nephews, um, and being, you know, an adult in their life who's participating in their, you know, their existence has been kind of transformative. Um, and so I've always, yeah, been curious about being a parent, like having that role um, in another person's life. So when my husband and I were dating, you know, before we got married, we had a lot of conversations. I'm seven years older than he is, so we're already kind of on different timelines, or you might assume, or I maybe early dating assumed we were on different timelines. Mm. Um, and at 35, I wasn't in a place emotionally or financially or creatively um, where I was 100% sure that I wanted to start trying to have a baby right away. Yeah. And it's one of the first conversations that, you know, I had with Adam that I was really curious about being a parent. Uh, I was, I was curious about being a parent, you know, biologically, like carrying, carrying a child. Um, but I wasn't ready, you know? And at that point I also knew, you know, from other friends that I'd, I'd already tipped the scales and like, you know, crossed the line into geriatric pregnancy zone. Right. Which anyone listening to this probably knows is 35 Mm -hmm. and older. Yeah. So wait, how old were you when you guys got together? We got married when I was 35. 35. 
so we're having, and we were only engaged, you know, for about um, maybe six months. We, we were together a little shy of two years by the time we got married. Um, and yeah, I'm just really fortunate that I have a partner who was also um, just curious about their own journey towards being a parent. And there weren't any hard, fast, like black and white, yes and no's, mm-hmm. you know, so I got to kind of live in this space um, of questions. And then I also was really lucky that, you know, being with this person and explore, exploring, you know, adulthood with them gave me a lot of confidence to try to be a parent. You know, mm-hmm. I think I had a lot of uncertainty, um, not feeling stable enough, you know, as a teaching artist, mm-hmm. you know, renting in Austin, I felt really kind of transitory, you know, and then all of a sudden having like some point of stability and companionship, I was like, no, this is something that yeah. I want. Um, but even then when Adam and I, you know, when I was like, I do want to be a parent and I want to be a parent with you, I wanted to take my time, you know, cause I, I, I wasn't in a job that felt rewarding or satisfying. You know, we didn't have like kind of a stable place to live. And also logistics aside, there was just a little bit more of my personal life that mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to experience before bringing another human being into it. Mm-hmm. So we didn't start trying to have a child, trying to get pregnant until I was 38. Wow. Um, but at that point, you know, we, you know, I'm such a practical person. You know, I love checklists and I love mm-hmm. filling out forms and I love doing things by the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to stop seeing my OBGYN, start seeing high risk pregnancy, uh, OBGYN. So I found one that was highly recommended from several of my friends who had children after 35 and, you know, so I'm meeting with this doctor. We do all the genetic screening. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, uh, you know, I'm just cleared, you know, like all systems go big thumbs up. Plumbing looks good. Yeah. Plumbing looks great. Um, I've been off the pill now for two years, mm-hmm. which was also scary because I'd been on the pill pretty consistently since the age of 16 when I was diagnosed with ovarian cysts and mm. PMDD and hormonal acne. Um, I was not sexually active at the time, but, you know, my gyno was like, I think this will help with these other issues that Robin's navigating. Mm-hmm. And so from then until the age of, of I, got, I got off at 36. Mm. So that was, I mean, you know, Adam and I were taking our time, but also like I had some maintenance, you know, I had to kind of take care of, I had to like get off this pill and see what happened. And like, am I going to have a regular cycle? Like I just had no idea what to expect. Right. And my body was awesome. You know, getting off the pill was really easy for me, which I feel really lucky about my ovarian cysts. Um, I didn't have any ruptures, you know, even, even, you know, my, my hormonal acne seemed to have changed. My PMDD, um, was nothing like I remembered it being the few times in my twenties when I tried to get off the pill and had just felt. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I was like this, you know, everything. Yeah. All systems go big thumbs up. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started trying that December, um, didn't get pregnant the first cycle and got pregnant the second cycle. Um, so I, you know, I was like, wow, waiting didn't matter. Yeah. You know, look yeah, at yeah, this, yeah, yeah. Yeah. you know, I'm, you know, I, I could have, you know, you know, good thing I hadn't tried any sooner because, you know, it was going to happen so quickly and so fast. And, mm-hmm. um, and then the early weeks of the, I mean, there's we, so much hope with that. Too. Yes. Like, it's like, okay, it's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Here. Yeah. 
<laughs> and we also, you know, we told parents right away. We didn't tell a lot of people, but we did tell both, you know, both sets of our parents. We did it right. Yeah. Aren't you proud? <laughs> we knew it. Ha <laughs> ha. Everything's going to be fine. It didn't matter that we waited and that, yeah. And then we lost that pregnancy at nine weeks. So really early on. Um, it had not been confirmed by sonogram or... So it was the HCG level yes. confirmation? Mm-hmm. So did, um, what was it, um, if you don't mind sharing, Mm -hmm. like, what was it, how did you know you were miscarrying? Like, did you, just what was that experience like for you? Yeah, I was at work, and I was walking across the office, and I work, there was no one else in the office, I should Mm -hmm. say, it was just me, um, and I had a really sharp stabbing pain in my lower back, Mm. um, the lower right side of my back. And it was so intense that for a few seconds I couldn't breathe. And then it was so intense that I just lied down, right, where where I was walking. And for a second, not for a second, I mean, for while the pain was happening, I wasn't thinking about the pregnancy at all because of the location of the pain. I thought maybe I'd pulled a muscle. I thought maybe it was my kidney. I thought, you know, I, I, it was a really... It's my joints doing that thing. Yeah. I was like, like separate your hips out. Yeah. Like making room for the mm-hmm. baby. Yeah, oh yeah, look at that. My body's awesome. Um, which it is. But, you know, it... And, and, you know, having ovarian cysts, you know, I'm like kind of aware of like sharp sensation and pain, you know, mm. when things are... I don't know. It's such a foreign place to have the pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the sharpness of it went away, but it still had this dull ache, like someone was pushing their fist into my lower back. Interesting. And then I went into the restroom and had spotting, bright, bright spotting. And that was, it was in that moment that I thought, oh shit, like this is, this might this be is something happening. Mm. Um called my doctor's office and they said come in come right now you know like we have an appointment you know two o'clock if you want to stop by and we can check things out and see what's going on um which I just thought was wonderful so they went in they did an ultrasound and they could see um and forgive me if I use incorrect terminology Mm. this is something I hope we'll talk about too but yeah I kind of, like, detached from knowing too much after the three miscarriages about holding all that language about, you know, did she call it an embryotic sac? Did she call it, you know... Happy to talk about that. Yeah. 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 But she confirmed it, took measurements, um, and said, yes, you are... I can tell you right now that you are pregnant. I can see it. Um, they, They took blood work right then, and... I, the pain was really dull, and she said, you know, that might just be, it might be normal. It could be nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and spotting is normal, and pain is normal. Um, this could be the beginning of a miscarriage. Um, but right now, I'm confirming that I see it. You know, and she didn't, I do remember that she didn't show me the image. Mm. But she put it, it was this long, you know, curling strip, like the kind you see in movies, or on your girlfriend's refrigerators. The photo or paper. The photo the paper. It's like rec- Double-wide receipt paper. Yes, of, with yeah. some, like, yeah. astrological constellations on it. Yeah, but it's yeah. your, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. And I wanted to see it, you know, but she folded it up and paper-clipped it into my 
manila folder. Whoa. And I didn't ask about it, you know, because, again, I, you know, I'm still thinking we're going to be back in a few weeks to listen to the heartbeat or um, because she was so optimistic. And I can't, I'm so glad she wasn't any other way, but I did leave that appointment. I don't know, maybe I didn't. I want to think that I left that appointment optimistic, but I, I think I already knew what was happening. My husband mm-hmm. was definitely very optimistic. Mm-hmm. You know, after Googling it and taking in the doctor's words, he was like, this is normal. I know, it's so confusing because it's like, I, well, first of all, I've talked to none of my friends that were pregnant that experienced spotting. <laughs> uh-huh. But it's, yeah, it's it's allegedly a very normal thing. Right. I'm not just saying it's not, but it's just like, yeah, it's it's just such a mind fuck, especially the more miscarriages you have. Like, mm-hmm. is this panic time or not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So paper clipping the image, though, mm-hmm. that's intense. And I kind of wonder if it's still in there. Yeah. And part of me wants to ask, Yeah, you can could. I see it? Because now they've taken images of all three. Yeah, you could. Yeah. I've never really thought, I've never really gone back to that mm-hmm. moment. But yeah. I'm sorry, Robin. Thank you. Aww. Thanks. Oh, sweet. Because you think about, that's the first interaction I had with my nephews, you know, the closest thing that I have to kind of this experience. And my sister-in-law. The image. Yeah, so yeah. open yeah. and loving in her experience of carrying children and, and her birth experience. And it's just been really wonderful to be a companion for her and listen to those things. And and those, I think, I think in my mind, those images of, of my two nephews are still on her fridge. Mm-hmm. Or they're still up somewhere. Right. You know, those early sonograms, the first sonogram images or ultrasound yeah. images. Um, yeah. And then almost everything to a T that the doctor described that I would be feeling over the next 24, 48, 72 hours if I was miscarriaging were started happening, you know. And so she, I, call, I think I called the nurse's hotline, you mm-hmm. know, just because, just because the pain in my lower back was so intense. That's so interesting. And that had been interesting to my doctor too. And so it was still happening. And so I think it was like a Saturday and I talked to a nurse mm-hmm. after our nurse and she got a little bit more specific about, you know, cause I was like, I'm bleeding a lot now, you know, like, can you do, do you have any more information about like when I will know, like when this is done? Um, and she kind of explained, you know, what I would be feeling and seeing. Um, and then when it was happening, there was just no denying, you know, what was, what was going on. And, and just the volume. Yeah, of, the volume. Yeah. The pain was like yeah. nothing I'd ever really felt before. Um, and then when I, you know, when I passed the pregnancy, it was just so clear to me that, like, that is what I was looking at, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and then it was... Yeah, and then, you know, we've had three, and they've been really, really kind of similar in structure. Timelines are very similar. Mm. Um, But I will say, I think that first time, from that first sharp pain in my office Mm -hmm. to the moment that I knew that, you know, the miscarriage had had been successful and taken place, I think that was two days. I think that was 48 hours. Mm. And then I think it was, it was almost four days with the third one. Mm -hmm. Um, And then... Yeah, much. It was just much more painful, um, which felt counterintuitive to me. You know, I don't know what to compare it to, but you know, like 
the first time I had strep throat. <laughs> you know right, what I mean? Right, right, right. Do you, emotional or physical or both? both. Yeah, both. Mm-hmm. Absolutely both. The second miscarriage, oh, I almost don't remember much because I, I don't know. I just did a... Yeah, who wants to be present for that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the third one... Yeah, we just really got our hopes up again. Mm-hmm. We'd taken a little more time between trying, and in that time, I'd started fertility acupuncture. I had start, I'd seen um, a naturopath. I was taking a lot of supplements to promote healthy mm-hmm. egg production. You know, I just felt like I was getting more serious. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, okay. All this other stuff was just us trying naturally without any type of, you know, besides just having lots of sex. Mm-hmm charting my ovulation not you know just using calendars and like body signals and folic um, acid yes yes <laughs> oh my god just in case just in yeah, case your, prena- just your it, prenatal vitamins and mm-hmm. the sex yeah, yeah that was yeah, it yeah so going into the third try we were I mean I was we were, you know I was using ovulation strips I was getting this acupuncture I was taking all these supplements and so then when it, when it happened the third time I just knew it was going to work. Mm-hmm. You know, third time's a charm. I'm just mm-hmm. like programmed to believe that. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'd heard so many women who, oh yeah, we, you know, we had a couple of miscarriages there, but it worked out. You know, just stop worrying about it, and right. it'll happen. And I was like, huh, they were right. Even though I hadn't stopped worrying about it. In fact, I'd started yeah. worrying about it more. Or not worrying about it more, but I did become more engaged and intentionally involved mm-hmm. in getting pregnant. And definitely the way Adam and I started having sex, like it wasn't like a movie, but there was a public calendar as opposed to the app that I'm tracking on my phone. Mm-hmm. I've now like have something in our collective space. So mm-hmm. he now too is engaged in where we are in my cycle and where, you know, and you know, oh, I'm not going to travel that week because that's your ovulation week. So, mm-hmm. you know, so we were participating a little bit more intentionally, um, can you share the timeline of the three pregnancies in case anybody's cur- curious yeah. about that? So um, the first one, we start trying in December, and um, I'm pregnant the second cycle, so I'm we're losing the pregnancy in March um, of t- 2020, which is kind of fascinating, too, because that's mm. when we're shutting down with the pandemic. Yeah. So that coincides with complicated grief, collective and personal... And then, yeah, the second. That's not a great way to start a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, it really wasn't. It really wasn't. There's no great way. But yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. And my my OB, who I really love. You know, she did say in that moment, after you know, after they confirmed the loss, and I went back in, and they're testing my blood levels to make sure I'm getting back to normal. She said, you know, maybe this is a blessing. I don't know if she said blessing, but she said, maybe this is a good thing because I don't think you're going to want to be, you know, you're not going to want to have a baby in October of 2020. I think we'll still be navigating just the be- pandemic. Because of limited healthcare resources. Mm-hmm. And- yeah. Yeah. And I remember even in that moment just kind of being pissed. Right. Because I was like, well, babies are still going to be born in October of 2020. Right, right. And... You know, I would I, I would like to be <laughs> among right. among those mothers, right? But I guess it's a good thing, you know. And, and but and then um, the second yeah. pregnancy, another, another way that bo- women's bodies are just inconvenient. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, like what a good thing that that won't be happening. It's like, hmm. Will it? Hmm. And then the second one, I think, um, you know, my body got back to normal pretty quickly. Um, I think I was... Where was your heart in that? Like, were you ready to try again immediately? Like... I think if we'd not been at the beginning of a pandemic, I would have been. Mm -hmm. I think I would have really just seen it as um, my body just knowing it wasn't a viable pregnancy and, you know, doing exactly what it needed to do and the miscarriage was complete and then I was back onto my 28 day cycle. You know, I was really Mm -hmm. proud. I just remember being really proud and amazed by the biology and brilliance of my body Mm -hmm. being like, okay, I trust you. Mm -hmm. You knew that that egg or, you know, you just knew that this, I had a, I had a really similar response to that too. I mean, the first one, it was sad, but it was, it was this, because there, you know, I guess, you know, in hindsight, I can see there's no accumulation of grief and loss, that at that point it really was a similar thing of like, okay, it's just my body doing mm-hmm. what it needs to do. And similarly, like I, I got pregnant really easily. Getting pregnant was never the issue yes. for me. Yeah. 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 And I can, I think I could say that for Adam and I too, that getting, yeah. Yeah. The first one is a different flavor. The mm-hmm. flavor starts to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you started trying actively then again. I think we waited, and I have all this charted and written out, but this is just my my impulse and my memory. I think we waited three months. I think we waited one cycle to make sure that everything was okay, Mm -hmm. you know, and that now we're collectively moving deeper into the pandemic and realizing that, oh, this isn't going to just be over like we thought it was. Or I'm speaking for myself, like I thought it was. Yeah. I, I, as a teacher, I was like, oh, we'll be back after spring break. Mm-hmm. Like, we're just going to figure out some new protocols. And mm-hmm. um, so then I feel like we took a month. We took a month to figure out emotionally how we were feeling, you know, about still trying to conceive and have a baby mm-hmm. um, while our while we were watching our healthcare system kind of navigate spikes in our area. Mm-hmm. And then by the third month, I think we realized that it was okay to start trying again. You know, that we, what we were watching happening in other parts of the world and in um, highly densely populated areas of the United States was not happening in our, mm-hmm. in our town. Um, and so we weren't going to perhaps see the type of devastation that we were doom scrolling through every day Mm -hmm. so I think we started trying about three months after the first miscarriage and then that took a while to get pregnant Um, I think it took us another maybe four or five cycles Mm -hmm. so now maybe I'm eight cycles eight months away from that first miscarriage okay before I got pregnant again and that was hard, too, because I just remember a lot of people saying at the clinic and then a lot of people saying who were doing, like, follow-up blood work and then a lot of online research saying that it's really likely to get pregnant right away after a miscarriage. Like, your body knows what you're trying to do. It starts, it's primed, it's ready. And so my doctor was really encouraging us to try right away. Like, if my cycle was normal, to go ahead and start trying again right away because, the, you know the percentages, the odds were I was mm-hmm. going to, we were going to get pregnant again really quickly. And then that didn't happen again. Mm-hmm. And I was like, huh, what, you know, like, yeah. God. So even that was, became kind of a disappointment. Um, and then we lost that pregnancy very similar way. And every single time it starts with me having this deep ache in my lower 
back. That's so fascinating. Uh-huh. And have you, does anybody have any they, idea about that? They, like, they did some pretty intensive, so after the second time, after the, after the second miscarriage, when that was like my primary symptom again, going mm-hmm. into it, they did more intense diagnostic imaging. So they did a die cast, and it, it has an acronym. I can't remember what it's called, so I don't know if it's possible. I'll give it a Google so we can put it in the comments or the notes. Yeah. Um, but they <clears throat> filled my uterus with dye. They used a catheter and filled it with this dye to kind of see what was happening and take some deeper imaging pictures. Mm. Um and I had ultrasounds done of every, you know, everything. They just were looking at me all over. Like all your organs, like anything in yes. the pelvic region where yes. you were having the pain. Mm-hmm. And I just came back clear. Wow. Everything was clear. Wow. Um, and my doctor wasn't really concerned because every, you know, all the images were coming back with, you know, no reason to be concerned. All of my blood work, um, this kind of, you know, this, the, the dye imaging that they took, there was nothing of alarm. Like, again, everything, all systems go. Mm-hmm. Everything looks good. Big thumbs up. And my doctor kept saying, you know, it's, you're, you're getting pregnant. That's not the problem. Mm-hmm. So you and Adam should definitely keep trying. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was harder yeah. gearing up for the third try. Yeah. Emotionally. Um. Can you, can you talk? The one, I mean, the one thing that like I was curious about when my losses were fresher in mind was just like the grieving process felt so solitary because there's just, I mean, our our culture in general does a really poor job of honoring grief as like a necessary process and ritual, mm-hmm. um, and then you know. The fact that, like, people don't, there's all of, it's just, people don't talk about pregnancy loss um, in the same way. It becomes very isolating, and as you're saying, it's like you stop kind of sharing that you're getting pregnant because you don't want to have to tell people Mm -hmm. about the loss or, like, you know, manage their expectations or questions or whatever. Um, Do you remember anything about the flavor of grief? And what that was like with the second one. Yeah, we didn't tell anyone that we were pregnant. Mm-hmm. And then I also didn't tell anyone that I'd had a miscarriage. Mm-hmm. So, because I didn't want to handle anyone's joy, and I also didn't want to hold anyone else's optimism. Right. Like, it wasn't even like I didn't couldn't handle them being disappointed. Yeah. Something that I'd found really hard in retrospect about the first one while sitting with the second one mm-hmm. was that everyone's optimism about how it's going to work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was starting to really be hard for me. I was like, but it isn't working. Right. So can we just be really honest about what's just happening in this moment? Like, I don't want to talk about what could happen. Right. Because I actually just want to talk about and acknowledge yeah. what did happen. Yeah. Thoughts and prayers. Thank you. But no. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and and being so quick to have solutions or anecdotes about mm. others, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting because that is something that I was craving. So the flavor was that I did want to know that my body was okay, that I was okay, that we should keep trying. But I, I didn't in that... I, 
I couldn't hold other people's joy. I, I just, yeah. I was, I was bitter. I was, I, I was m- more angry and yeah. private bitterness. Yes. The miscarriage journey. Yeah. I was pissed. So it was just Adam and your doctors that knew that's what right. was going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so intense. I think that's so common. Yeah. Too. I think that's very relatable. I think that's why that middle one doesn't have a lot of memory for me. The second mi- miscarriage, because we, I just was like, nope. I don't want to yeah. Yeah. talk about it with anybody. Yeah. Not going to let you get to me. Yeah. Yeah. And we had people who were really invested in our, in our journey. I mean, close girlfriends and family friends and, you know, our neighbors who we live so closely with, you know, really were there after the first one, you know. Um, even though they hadn't known you were pregnant, yeah, you know, I kind of let them in on what had happened afterwards, and yeah, and then it felt weird not telling them. I felt like I don't know about yeah. the second one. Did you do any journaling? Like, did you have private ways of processing it? Yes, yes. I will say that I, you know, I'm journaling about it in two ways. One, I'm just, I'm just an active journaler like yeah, I, yeah and you're an artist you're like yes what you haven't said or shared is that you're like an amazing performer mm-hmm. and teacher yeah. of performing arts too mm-hmm. and yeah yeah thank yeah. you yeah creative yeah. yeah so it's a part of kind of like my daily yeah rituals and practice so I, so I'm, I'm just I'm venting into one space but then in, in another space in you know the mm-hmm. notebook <laughs> yeah yeah um, I'm keeping track of dates and times and procedures and you know like this other way that I'm kind of documenting it yeah captain's log <laughs> yes it is a captain's log it's exactly <laughs> what it is which I, to be honest I have not I don't even think I put in information after the third one into the captain's log I kept thinking oh I'm gonna update that soon mm-hmm. but I don't think I pulled it off the shelf because I didn't yeah I feel really detached from it now mm-hmm. it's like after the second one I was really angry and then after the third after being so intentional with my health and um, my ovulation and my energy. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, that when it started happening, you know, the second I got that pain in my lower back, I was done. I was so over it. I was just ready for the miscarriage to be over. Right. I was like, all right, I can't. I'm oh, sorry. I don't want. I, I don't want to be doing this anymore. Um, and I just remember how optimistic Adam was mm-hmm. that it could still be a viable pregnancy for those four mm-hmm. or five days, and that I felt removed from him too. This is on the third one. The third one. And he still is saying, you know, spotting's normal. Pain like this is normal. And he's God like, bless him. I know. <laughs> I was like, uh, but our research shows, right, right, you know, right, our right. accumulative data shows it's happening again. Right. You know, like right. this, you know, but yeah, bless him. Because, I mean, that's, you know, he's going through this too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as isolated as I've felt in this, you know, and, and, and how wonderful it has felt to find other people in my life, um, individuals who've experienced miscarriages and like have conversations with him. I really don't know who he has been talking to or Mm. how he has navigated Mm -hmm. one, two or three. Mm. He doesn't write in the captain's log. I do. Right. You know? And so, I mean, we are very vocal in how we communicate with each other. Right. Um, he's an artist as well. And I know he wrote an incredibly moving short story 
about the experience where it kind of plays with this, you know, this nonfiction narrative in a little bit of a fictional, magical realism way. Mm-hmm. And he shared the story with me. And I told him that can go nowhere else. Mm. <laughs> you know, that, can that just be a, can that just be ours? Yeah. Um, to which he lovingly said, "Of course." But I am curious, yeah, about his process. You know, his process and all of this, and the work that you're doing, and the conversations that you're starting. If partners who are not, you know, I, yeah. yeah, yeah, partners, uh, partners. Yeah, or... Yeah, no, I mean, I'm thinking, like, I mean, that ended up being kind of my partner that I'm no longer with. We did not communicate well about it. And, you know, we were were in couples therapy to try to help with that. Um, But we ended up, you know, it turns out we just sort of end up processing things in different ways. And... Um, we were just sort of set on these two divergent grieve, grieving paths that mm-hmm. just couldn't, that didn't want to like hang out with each other anymore. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I, I still think about like what, what was his process? Who did he talk to besides me? I mean, it, it's hard too. Cause like, I'm sure they happen. I'm sure we had plenty of conversations about them, but I don't rem- about the losses, but I don't remember specifics about them. And it's, I don't know, it's sort of like, it, it just makes, it's just such a hard thing to talk about. Yes. With anybody, with anybody. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's also, it's just so incredibly sad. Not to mention the, like, hormonal roller coaster that your body mm-hmm. is then going through. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then, you know, trying to show up at, your paying job to, yes. to, to, to like show up and be effective yeah. and not fall apart. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, just like all of the, you don't get to have, there's not a, there's not a convenient time or way, or even like a societal model for how to have this sort of like process, grief processing. Mm-hmm. Did you, so we did this, um, Buddhist ceremony um, through the San Francisco Zen Center where they do this I forget the name of the ceremony but um, oh my god I'm going to forget the name of the Bodhisattva um, who is the Bodhisattva of unborn children mm-hmm. and in Buddhism there's a practice to honor the unborn children um, abortions miscarriages you know children babies that die young and you you sew, um, you sew something together, and then you adorn the altar. Mm-hmm. And so we did this. We did like a ceremony with that at Green Gulch, which is in Marin County, with a bunch of other people who we like. It was just it was the saddest group of people. Oh. You know, we don't know what anybody else's stories are right. in that process. It's not like a sharing. It's just you kind of show up and you're led through with these, like, Zen priests um, to kind of have this honoring and, like, commemoration. And then, you know, we tied these, like, little... We wrote notes to the past being and, like, tied it on this cherry blossom tree. Um, So it's, like, I feel like I have, like, one place where I went, and that was Mm -hmm. kind of, like, at the end of all of them, Mm -hmm. all of the losses. So it's, like, I've gone back there a couple times and just, like, kind of cried 
a bunch like I just kind of sit in the cherry trees and it's a beautiful property so a lot of times people go there and they're like you know oh the wonder of it all and I'm just no, sitting on the God. bench looking at the cherry tree like, <laughs> yeah but yeah there I don't know did you have any processes or thinking about it in retrospect do you think that would be helpful to have some sort of ritual yeah we I didn't and what's so interesting, so we, I, I didn't have any ritual. I don't think I did. Now I'm, now I'm, I mean, obviously not one that was intentional or impactful in a way that's still with me. And what's really fascinating is I am someone who believes in ritual and lives by ritual. Yeah. And so it's, that's also just an interesting realization in this conversation with you is that, and, and I would say my partner is too, we are someone you know, I walk through a beautiful forest and I, on the way out, I'll hug a tree and say, thank you. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. I'm, I, I begin and end my classes with gratitude, uh, you know, so. Art is a ritual yeah. in so many yeah. ways. Yeah, artistic practice is so mm-hmm. full of ritual, especially performing arts. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just, Yeah. Well, maybe there's time. Yeah, there's, uh, there's always time. Yeah. And, like, repeating, too. Like, I, I mean, that's partly why I've gone back a couple of times to that spot is just, like, you know, there'll be, like, something. I'm just like, all right, I just want to, like, go acknowledge and feel like I'm in a safe place where, like, I was kind of held in the grief by strangers. There's something very impactful about that. Mm-hmm. That, like... I don't know. Buddhism is really... I mean, I'm a very casual Buddhist. I will just put it that way. I'm like a... Yeah, I'm a a very casual Buddhist. (laughs) But but just this idea that there are so many ceremonies and rituals and like being able to hold grief Mm -hmm. and really acknowledging suffering and without having to have like go into language, verbal or spoken. And I'm I'm a writer, so I process a lot like through language and trying to articulate my feelings and stuff. But I feel like there's just something so profound about, like, a group action. Mm-hmm. Um, Robin and I happen to be sitting in on the North Shore of Kauai right now celebrating her sister's 50th birthday party, which is wonderful. So I feel like if you want to, we could... Uh, we could release something into the ocean, maybe. Yes. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're also going to have a hot dog party. <laughs> if you want to do a hot dog ceremonial <laughs> dinner. <laughs> you bury a hot dog in the sand as also, a fertility rite. I'm singing a lot of karaoke, so there might be an amplified ballad <laughs> sent out over the ocean waves. Yeah, to this being. These beings. Have you... So, okay... Um, we talked a little bit about this before we sat down to record this, and there was one thing that came up that I thought was really interesting and, and sad, but I think also very co- possibly common and relatable, which is that you and Adam are still trying. You haven't stopped trying necessarily. Mm-hmm. You're at a new point in it. Mm-hmm. But your attitude has changed to one of kind of, all right, how we're like you're just waiting for the next miscarriage. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So the captain's log <laughs> has changed from, you know, when we start trying again instead of 
I have, a, I have a seasonal component to my job. You know, there's there's three months out of the year that would be much harder for me to be in the the latter part of my third trimester because I'm I'm working in a rural location. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't. That would be challenging, but not impossible if I was to go into active labor mm-hmm. during those three months out of the year. So when we were originally trying, that was something we would keep in mind. You know, we're like, well, let's make sure that we're in a safe you know, that we're trying in these windows that will ensure that I'm in a safe place Mm job-wise. And then in the middle one, uh, when we started trying again, we were like, nope, forget it. We're just trying all the time. It doesn't matter. Work is work. You know, Can't control it. Yeah, nothing. Yeah, yeah, can't control it. Nothing's more important than this. Um, We entered the third one in the same way. Still, you know, thinking about the pregnancy uh, ending in birth, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, and delivery and kind of when that would be falling in the school year as teachers or if I'm running my summer program or, you know, like those were the conversations that we were having. And then, of course, I'm really into astrology, so I'm, you know, really curious about, you know, (laughs) so I'm also still thinking about their rising signs and (laughs) their moons and and all this business. Um, Yeah, what's your ideal sun sign? Um, I really love Libras. You know, Adam, Adam's a Libra, so I'm like, oh, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm also a fan of a Scorpio. And, Interesting. You know, I know. Got some, got some favorites in there. You want an autumnal baby. Yes, an autumnal baby. Also, you know, I live in Texas, so the idea of, you know, having a Leo, for example, seems atrocious. <laughs> Being preg- nine months pregnant in August would just be the pits, but... Um, but now, you know, we're gearing up to try again and yeah, all of our language and all of the dates and all of the captain log pre-planning has changed from labor and delivery to making sure that when the next miscarriage happens, it's at a convenient time when I can, you know, take off work and, um, ride those hormonal waves and shifts and grieve and, you know, and we're no longer entering it talking about trimesters, you know, we're, right. we're entering it talking about weeks. the first few weeks. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's no hope in that. Mm-hmm. There's no joy in that. There's no wonder. There's no mystery. There's no magic. There's no promise. You know, all the things that pregnancy is for me, potential questions, like, even the questions are gone. You know, we're entering the whole process with a known, which is, we will lose this mm. pregnancy. Oh, sweet. And that's, no, it's like, then why? Yeah. Um, and after, you know, po- politically, you know, with the overturn of Roe versus Wade and, and living in Texas and seeing those shifts happen this summer, the logistical captain's log planning also now centers around how quickly my partner could get me to healthcare if we needed, you know, a medical intervention. Right. When, when this miscarriage starts to happen, how quickly can I get you to New Mexico? Right. You know, that's a conversation that my husband and I had, you know, if we're going by car, I can get you there in eight hours. Wow. And with the miscarriages that we've had before, that should be fine with this next one period, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just, and those, those conversations are important, and um, unfortunately, they're necessary. Um, and my heart just breaks, uh, and my chest feels with fury mm-hmm. when I think about much, you know, when I think about other conversations happening right now mm-hmm. with women and 
um, and their healthcare providers are not happening with women and their healthcare providers. Um, yeah, abortion it's, is healthcare. Mm-hmm. It's healthcare. It's infuriating. So I don't know where we are. You know, we haven't pulled back out the calendars. We haven't. We haven't left that. When was the last loss? How many, how many? How long ago? It was in March of 2022. So what's that? Five, four months ago. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm 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 <clears throat> away during the summers. Yeah. Um, you know, I run a program in the summers that put me in this rural. I'm away from my partner, so that, like even yeah. trying to have trying to get pregnant isn't an option for us. And so when we lost the pregnancy in March and we knew I was leaving in June, yeah. the first conversation was, you know, I don't think I can have a fourth miscarriage while running this program. Yes. And so we agreed, yes, that doesn't seem, that's not, that's not wise. Let's not, let's not do that to ourselves. You know, if we, if we have no control, at least we have control over this. So let's start trying when you get back. And so then I got back in August and then the next conversation we had was that, how quickly can I get you to health care if something goes wrong? It's just so sad. Mm-hmm. And so we, lo- I mean, that, the, the only known in that conversation for us was that an, another miscarriage was going to take place. Yeah. But like the, any other knowns about making sure that, you that's, know. That's the built-in assumption now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we left, we like just gingerly and lovingly placed that conversation down. And I mean, again, that was just two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, And then my partner and I got COVID. (laughs) So like also, (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh. Um, So we have it, you know, and then here I am on this beautiful fertile island, um, surrounded by beautiful women and who are just inspirations in their own right. So I, I'm, I've been having a lot of powerful feelings and thoughts that are again reshaping the narrative mm-hmm. for myself. And I'm not going back to where I was in December of 2019, you know, when we were you know, starting to try. I'm definitely in a different place. Um, but it, I do feel these little inklings of curiosity and possibility mm-hmm. and wonder again. Can mm-hmm. you, um, without any outing anyone, because we don't have anybody else's consent <laughs> to tell their stories right now uh-huh. on the podcast, but um, just because I do feel like sharing these narratives is, is the way to healing and the way to like not feeling so isolated through mm-hmm. this kind of hashtag, I hate the word journey, um, mm-hmm. like the conversations that you've been having with the other people that we've been hanging out this week, like what have you just, what are the pearls of wisdom or, you know, like just the tidbits that have helped you kind of reshape or that you you're taking with you now? Mm-hmm. Um, definitely a pearl is that I've just really appreciated the honesty in all the conversations, even, even in light conversation and, you know, kind of like anecdotal stories um, about parenthood mm-hmm. and about relationships to children's to, to children to nieces or nephews. Yeah, we have a group. I, I just want to put this yeah. part. We have a group of uh, I'd say half of us are parents, half mm-hmm. of us to living children, half of us are not. Mm-hmm. Um, some by choice, some not by choice. Mm-hmm. Some people have gone on adoption journeys that didn't work out, mm-hmm. adoption journeys that have worked out, fertility journeys that worked out, fertility journeys 
No, I don't know about that. But yeah, there's like a whole mix of, uh-huh. and also some, you know, queer parents also uh-huh. in the group that have had to pursue that way. Yeah. And yeah, just the way in which all of those people are just openly talking about every aspect of what you just, you know, what we just mentioned, you know, and, and, and not in like some big, um, kind of offhandedly someone will mention IVF or Mm -hmm. offhandedly someone will mention, you know, navigating, you know, different elements of, you know, adoption or, Mm -hmm. and, and just having to be a part of Converse, you know, kitchen yes. sink conversation. Nor- the normalization. Yes, the normalization. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also just, you know, being able to be frustrated by it, um, pissed off about it, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. You know, like to be, to be standing in a room where we all kind of lightly know each other's stories, but not feel like you can't, you know, call your kid a weirdo. <laughs> you know, because or right, like the struggles of parenting. Yeah, the struggles of parenting because yeah. that might hurt someone else in the room mm-hmm. who hasn't had that experience. You know, it's like all experiences are welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, so all experiences are welcome. Also, period. there's there's no grief too heavy for this group. I would say there's mm-hmm. people have had a lot of life experience and um, shit thrown at them for all different reasons. It's a very hearty. It's a tough group of ladies. Yeah. <laughs> and what I also love is, like, you know, we, some of us have known each other a really long time. Some of us don't know each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, there's just, I wish I, I mean, I hope I'll have the right words for it at some point. But it's a feeling. It's just a feeling of community, being safe. You know, these words that make me also kind of cringy, but... But they're so important. Mm-hmm. I mean, I you know what? That's a I think safe is a really mm-hmm. is a really important word in this because it doesn't feel safe to talk about it. Like for in the workplace, for instance, one thing I wanted to follow up ask it mm-hmm. as a follow up question with you is the um, you know talking about like all right, well I can't have a miscarriage when I'm working in the summer in a rural yes. area. But like, and also like to, to recover hormonally, emotionally from, from miscarrying, did you take time off during the other ones? Like, was that? No. So it was just like a, you just had to bootstrap it, suck it up. Yeah. And what's funny is not because anyone was making me. Yeah. You know, it was my own kind of built in rules or or understanding of what I was supposed to do. I mean, I had a lot of the in the first and second miscarriages, I had a lot of flexibility. Mm-hmm. Um where I was working at the time, I was my own boss, you know, I was the director of a nonprofit with mm-hmm. no employees, volunteers who most of them were, you know, committing you know, maybe maybe 10 hours a week. So, you know, and you just had to get the work done in some way, didn't matter when. Exactly. Yeah. And I just went right back. Mhm. Um, Which is sometimes a co- valid yeah. coping mechanism for some people. Mm-hmm. I personally would love to normalize bereavement. Yes. PTO. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And like being able to talk about, I mean, it's already such a taboo thing to, to even like tell your employer that you're pregnant. Like it's such a risky oh, thing. Right. That nobody, well, women talk about it, but like, but yeah. So then I don't know. 
what would happen if we lived in a world where people talked about this all the time? Mm-hmm. That's what I wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even as a teacher, you know, I teach, I teach high schoolers, you know, to even normalize it in a way to say, like, I'm taking time, like, to just say, this is why I'm not going to be right. in class for the next, you know, 10 days. I've experienced this. Just like you would say, you know, I have COVID or right. I have the flu or I've lost a parent or, right. you know what I mean? My child is sick. Yeah. My heart is broken. Yes. Yeah. My heart is broken. Yeah. And I can't imagine. That feels inappropriate. Yeah. Like, you know, I could see like an in-service like right, list right, of things right, right, not right. to say to your students would be like to mention that you've had, you know, yeah. like that's just like a... And it is. I mean, for teachers listening or anyone who works with youth, that's a lot of private information. Yeah. yeah you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if I left because of another level of grief. Yeah, yeah. I would tell my students right. I'm leaving to attend a funeral of some, you know, of so-and-so. so-and-so. Yes. And my students, I mean, it builds empathy. And they, you know, they see an adult navigating grief. They, I mean, it's, I don't know. It's yeah. one modeling, step towards normalizing. Yeah. And modeling like a self-care modeling a self-care that Mm -hmm. like guess what I need to take time for myself during this time Mm -hmm. yeah I mean just the not talking about it I'm just thinking back about your word about just like the bitterness that Mm -hmm. that starts to accumulate the more you don't talk about it I feel like that happens with so many things with women there's just so many things that people don't want us to talk about Mm -hmm. you know that then we feel shame to talk about, um, and the buildup or like the shame around any of that is just destructive to ourselves. Mm-hmm. It ends up like we end up being the the yeah we get the short end of the stick on that one. And what I felt also is even in, in areas and relationships where I did talk about it and felt comfortable to like talk about it, I then get the sense that I can't still be talking about it. Yes. It's like, wait, I held this with you. Like, yes. this is what we talked about at last happy hour. <laughs> like, right, why? right, right, right. We're right. still going to talk about, oh, we're still talking. And not that anyone right. in my, this is, a, this is a feeling that I get. Yes. Um, that I am maybe imposing on the situation. Right, right. But, um, yeah, I get that, you know. So I just, after the first one, didn't mention the others because I, I didn't want them to think I was still, Strugg- know, yeah, 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 struggling or. But they're very feeling. three individual. In the meantime, we've all had that. Gr- like, stop talking about your ex boyfriend. But now, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but maybe they need to talk about the ex boyfriend. I know. <laughs> I take it back. I know. I know. I know. Yeah, what is that? What is that? I mean, it, I mean, I just, I guess I feel like people clam up all the time. Not all the time. People, yeah, it's like this, I call it like a power save mode. Mm-hmm. It's like, peop, you know, it's like you bring it up. Um, I don't know, I've been, I've been through so much medical and vulnerability in my life that, and I'm at the point of, like, kind of sharing it through writing and, and normalizing my own self-talking about it, um, that I can, t- like, so I try to normalize it for other people, kind of, like, you know, just to try to present talking about this content with ease or models, just some sort of, like, 
ease about it after all my bajillion years of therapy about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is interesting to see people go, oh, like, uh, oh, wait, uh, like, they don't want to contemplate a dead baby. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, you can't, yeah, there's so much about, like, um, other people's reactions to it that becomes very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a real conversation enter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but I guarantee you, everybody knows most of the women in their lives, most of the women in their lives have had reproductive baloney of some sort. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else do you want to talk about? Is there anything mm-hmm. on your Let's mind? See. There was something you brought up at the beginning mm-hmm. about, like, well, I mean, I found myself in this place, too, that just, like, I mean, when you're a female artist um, who, I don't know, I mean, this, I mean, this is more a conversation about how artists are treated in the society, mm-hmm. and then you add on the, the layer of, like, desired parenthood on top of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a complicated thing. I don't know. I was just going to say, I just feel like so many women I know that are artists, like, waited so long. Because mm-hmm. they were always just trying to, like, kickstart a career. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. In a certain way. Absolutely. And then you get to a certain point where you're like, oh, the playing field is not level mm-hmm. <laughs> in career recognition in the arts. Yeah. Um, there's a huge gender disparity. Mm-hmm. And also just, like, a complete disregard for artists in general, mm-hmm. culturally, financially. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, but then if it's, like, as being, like, a creative, reproductive being, it mm-hmm. becomes really challenging to navigate the when. Yes. The when and the how. And the where. And the where. That was... Yeah, and how, and how, to, and how to have mm-hmm. enough financial support right? to do them. Right, and yeah. that, that was a really big part. Um, yeah, the, the when and the how and the where. enough money? Yes, and, and, you know, when I... You know, we, we, I don't know if I want to say where we live, but yeah, I mean, we live in a, yeah, rent, I mean, this is kind of universal, but we, you know, as renters, you know, we're, we're teachers, we, we're artists, we don't own a home, and, you know, we live in a place where that has just become further and further out of our reach. Yeah. And so then this question of roots, you know, right. family tree, you know, where are you settling down? Right, and what school district? Oh my gosh. Yeah. And feeling like, again, like we're in control of nothing with, right. our, with our pregnancy journey. Right. So the thing we can be in control of, you know, are where we live and where they would go to school and, you know, how much money we're setting aside in our 403B and how, you know. Yeah. And maybe we're going to leave, you know, teaching and we're going to, you know, try to, you know, be you know, serve the, the, the for-profit sector and, you know, and, I, uh, and really it's all just stemming around, you know, we just want to have this baby. Like I, right. I, like none of these things would stop me. Like if we were just pregnant, like none of these things would, I don't know, I was going to say matter. I don't know. It just, but those, those were thoughts I was carrying around in my early 30s. Yeah, totally. I totally space really... for, And I don't regret it. You know, I'm so, so thankful for everything, really. The whole, the whole experience. Um, and also, 
there's parallel lives going in my mind at all times. You know, there's parallel dates for those losses and those yes. pregnancies and every time the due date rolls around yeah. and all three of them, you know, like, you know, and I just laugh and I'm like, it would have worked, you know, we live in 200 square feet, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're still not, <laughs> we're still not making any money, you know, but it all would have worked. Yeah. Somehow, you know, we, because we would have made it work. Right. Because, because we have so much privilege and opportunity and, you know, with this, this third person, we would have, we would have made it. I know. So the who, the wow, the, you know, the, the, the where, the how, and the when, it mattered and also it didn't matter. Right. And so it's, it's just another thing to kind of hold. It's another grief, really. It's like all of that worry and planning you know, it's, it's also releasing all of that. You know, it's, that's part of when I think about this ritual and, you know, this Buddhist teaching in the cherry trees and thinking about the things that you're letting go of or giving over to or celebrating. There's no control. Mm-hmm. So much, I don't know, my, my personal experience has been so much of it is just like realizing, yeah, the, the illusion of control mm-hmm. that I thought that I had over a process, over an imagined life. And I don't know why I even had that. I mean, aside from that our culture feeds that on... But, like... Yeah, I've had the rug pulled out for me so many times. Like, why yeah. should anything work I out? I don't know. Yeah, but I do... I feel like that's part of the... That has been part of the grieving process for me. Is, like, really just sort of, like... You just never know. You just, you just can't... I don't know become like super cynical which has this weird thing of how of like of like letting go then sort of like comes full circle back around to actually optimism like mm-hmm. it's like it's kind of this weird yeah I'm in the optimistic part of it right now of mm-hmm. feeling very like free from trying to control certain things mm-hmm. um I'm sure that's gonna snap right back around because I definitely have controlling thought impulses <laughs> and needs but like yeah, when things don't work out, like, how do you recoup wanting things again? Yes. How do you let yourself want anything again becomes really challenging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wish you and Adam the best. Thank you. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we can pick this conversation up at any point. Past... Mm-hmm. present or future um well see that feels good too just ha- having an invitation for this not to be the only time we talk about it no it's i think it's so important to yeah. say that you know allowing us to want again and allowing the wants that we have to be different yeah and affected by what we've gone through and our conversations to be different because this now this conversation with you is also a part yeah. Of what I've been through. Yeah. You know, or what I'm going through. And so just saying that, Liz, I think it's really important to say, oh. like, this is the beginning of a conversation. Yeah. You know, this isn't just a, an entry in the captain's log. No. You know, this is the beginning of what's next. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we don't know what's going to happen. Mm-mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I know that you're a magical, wonderful, loving being. Thank you. Yeah. You too. Thank, thank you, Robin. Thank you for your work. Oh my God. Do you want to say anything else? Um, just gratitude. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. And Maloha. <laughs> Mahalo. Mahalo. Aloha. Aloha. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you.
Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to subscribe to this essay series or find me, Liz Hansen, you can do so at demisery.com. D-E-M-I-S-E-R-Y.com. Don't forget to be nice to yourself. Healing wishes to all.